Well, we've made a complete switch, haven't we, from the 40s and 50s, 50s to where the women didn't know anything, to the 70s, 80s, and now to where the men don't know anything. One day we'll get it right and realize that none of it was actually true, but it is a weird time to be a, a dad. Hey, happy Father's Day for all of you who are dads or had dads, and hope you have a great day watching the U.S. Open on the ugliest golf course I've ever seen in my life but I'll get over it. <laughs> Boy, is the picture of what it is to be a dad, ever, I, I had to get it in there, you know. I, had, I can't let it go. Because <laughs> it's like Father's Day for 40 years, even before I was a dad, but we always came back after church on Father's Day, turn on the television, sit and watch golf on the most beautiful, lush, wonderful, Golf course. This golf course looks like God had a bad day and vomited all over Tacoma, and they called it a golf course. But that's okay. It's not bothering me at all. They just <laughs> ruined my Father's Day. I'd rather dig ditches than play. But as a picture of being a dad and what it means to be a dad and even a man, if you look at the broader sense, ever changed. We've gone from dads being these highly respected, revered. Uh, men, men who had a house in the chair in which no one would dare sit. It sat empty all day because that was dad's chair. To the place where we've become sort of the, well, the cultural class dunce, uh, helpless idiots who stumble through life, whose families survive in spite of us. It's hard to know what a good dad looks like anymore, and it's getting harder to know what a good dad looks like because it's kind of confusing. Back in the uh, 80s, Tim Hansel wrote a book called What Kids Need Most in a Dad. And as a young dad, I went, to, even though I had an excellent example of a dad, I was still a little bit scared and confused, so I went and bought this book. I had met Tim, and he's, he had helped me out with some stuff uh, internally and spiritually, and I wanted to read his book, What Kids Need Most in a Dad. And it was very, very helpful for me, a playful read, but a really profound read. And that's the topic I want to address today, because we're talking today, we've been talking about moms that rock and kids that rock. Today, the focus, of course, is dads that rock. Looking at some of what kids need most in a dad, and by the way, it's also some of what Moms need most in a dad, from the dad of their kids. And it's really a lot about what culture needs most from men. But today the focus, what kids need most from a dad. Getting some clarity on some of the traits of what it means to be a good dad, a good father. And we'll take those lessons from the life of the best, most underrated dad in the history of humankind, the dad that God the Father chose to raise and influence his own son, Jesus. Joseph, the husband of Mary. Which is a challenging task because if you've been reading the Gospels for any length of time in your life, you recognize there's very, not relatively little, very little written and known about Joseph. But not much needs to be written. Really all I need to know is this, when God chose and looked for and chose a father, a dad, for his son Jesus, 
who was going to come to earth to care for us, when he looked for someone to raise his own son, all the choices he had, he chose Joseph. That's pretty much all I need to know. There's something there that's good for us. He needed to make sure that Jesus saw certain traits. Remember, Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully human. He was still raised. The scripture says he still chose to grow in wisdom and to learn lessons. So don't take away the humanity of Jesus uh, under the name of respecting the divinity of Jesus. It's, it's a mystery, but he was still learning things and chose to submit himself to his parents and even occasionally was, was rebuked and corrected by uh, his own parents. God wanted to make sure that Jesus saw certain traits in the man who would raise him. Traits that need to be found in a dad. Traits that are, that are among, that, that make the list of things that kids need most in a dad. And we want to look at some of those traits and learn from Joseph. And here's the first one. Now, now I could say all kinds of things, traits that kids need to see in their dad. So this is definitely not an exhaustive list. These are some of the things we see in Joseph. And assuming that God knew what he was doing when he chose Joseph. Here's the first trait. The first trait is mercy. Mercy. You know, early in his presidency, Calvin Coolidge woke one morning in his hotel room and reporters say that he found a cat burglar rifling through his pants and going through his wallet. And Coolidge was watching him for a little while and then interrupted him and said, I'm awake. <laughs> and said that Coolidge leaned up against his pillow and said, whatever you take, please don't take my watch chain because I have a charm on there that's one of my favorites, but what, everything else is fine. And they, be, they struck up a conversation. Coolidge realized that this was a college student who was hungry didn't have money to get back to his, pay his hotel bill, didn't have money to get back to college to get going again. And Coolidge talked him into giving, putting everything back in the wallet and giving it to him, sitting down in the bed where they could discuss some things. And he took out $32, which was in his wallet. And then that was the money the kid was ready to steal and handed it to him and said, we'll just call this a loan. He said to the student, by the way, it would be best if you left the same way you came to avoid the Secret Service because they won't look kindly on this. Coolidge was practicing what kids need most in a dad, mercy. By the way, do you think that left an impression on that college student, that thief? The report goes on to say that actually the debt was repaid. The student sent back the money and thanked the president for his loan. Mercy is a treasure by which our world is too seldom enriched. Mercy, what kids need most in a dad. A treasure by which our world is too seldom enriched. And it's experiencing mercy less. And have you noticed this? It's a rare thing to find, for instance, a public figure expressing mercy in response to something that they experienced. Did you, did you read some of the follow-up stories from Charleston this week? 
in that church where there was such a tragedy? I looked at some of those stories and I heard, one was a video story that I saw, that the families and dear friends of some of the victims of that terrible, tragic murder were facing the assailant and saying, we welcomed you into our Bible study and you are still welcome in our Bible study. We forgive you. Now, that wasn't an easy thing to do. But I predict, and it's not a really risky prediction, that when it comes to his sentencing, I will not be shocked at all. In fact, I'll be somewhat surprised if this isn't the case. The very people who were wounded the most from that tragedy will be the ones standing up and calling for mercy on that victim. That is radical, and that is something we don't see enough. And it's something kids and society and marriages and everybody else that's watching need to see in a man, in a dad. Mercy. The mercy Joseph seemed to practice. Because this was a natural practice for him. Matthew 1, which is one of the few places Joseph is mentioned. Look at this mercy dripping off of this guy. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. The Bible puts very gently what actually is not gentle to receive at all. I'm engaged. I haven't had sex with my fiance, and she comes up pregnant. Oh, it was by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, right. My dog ate my homework. And then it goes on to say that Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. So he's got this dilemma. The law now obligates me. It requires me to take certain action. It's prescribed, and I want to be faithful to my religion and to my culture and to my community. And either Mary has to be taken to the elders and shown to be pregnant and it wasn't by me, and we haven't finished our whole engagement slash marriage process, we haven't been together, she needs to either go to the gates of the city and be punished by stoning. The people will circle all around her, people who babysat her, will circle all around her while her parents are off in the corner weeping. Maybe they're even required to throw the stones, I don't know. But people that know her, because this is a smaller community, pick up stones the size of your fist. These are not pebbles. And from all angles, as they encircle her, they throw these stones until she's punished and, and killed. He has another option. And by right, he can do that. And he is justified. He is vindicated. His manhood is preserved. The law requires either that or he has another option he can take. He can write her a, a dismissal. And she doesn't have to go through that, but he has a, an option that he can take. But Joseph is a merciful man. Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, which would have meant exposing himself to public disgrace. And he had it in mind to divorce her quietly. So he's going to put Mary away privately, which means he's going to spare her dignity. He's going to care for her. And here's a guy who's thinking, I believe in what my religion says, but I have my heart for Mary. I'd rather choose mercy. That's a great man. That's a great husband. That's a great dad. He couldn't just ignore her pregnancy, but he had too much kindness in his heart to endure watching her be hurt like that. 
So he found a way to be both lawful and compassionate. Boy, isn't that a nice message, not just for the dads, but for the whole church today? A way to be committed to both truth and compassion. Truth and mercy and understanding. He showed that mercy by placing her safety and her name above everything else. What kids need most in a dad Joseph had? Mercy. That's a nice message, a nice concept. How in the world do we grow in mercy? What are some practices that we can employ that will help us move down the road? Because our hearts aren't naturally merciful. They are naturally saying things like, doggone it, this happened to me and I deserve this. I deserve vindication. I deserve, this is my right to see this. Mate. We even have a phrase, are you going to make that right? Which means show no mercy, punish. Here are a couple of things that I've found very helpful because I'm not naturally merciful either. And I'm still growing in big ways. But a couple of things. There's an ancient practice called centering prayer. Centering prayer is... I'm simplifying it. I'm overly simplifying it. But you take a prayer and you keep repeating it like a hammer on top of a nail, just driving it deeper and deeper and deeper. And you focus on it and you center on it. One that I use often is right from what Jesus taught us to use. Forgive my sins as I forgive those who sin against me. Forgive my sins as I forgive those who sin against me that puts me in a place of praying and remembering that I need something from God. And he needs something from me in the sense of forgiving those who sin against me. And he empowers that. That recrafts a person's heart. That's a practice that the ancients have used and we need to reacquire. Another practice is to begin the discipline of thinking mercy first and then go from there. Because what we normally do, right, is think um, payback first. What are my rights now since you've done that? And then eventually we can get to mercy. Oh, wait, I'll decide to forgive. But to discipline ourselves to think, wait, wait, mercy first, mercy first, then we'll go from there. Just a couple of practical ideas about how to build this practice, this person, this heart, of mercy. What do kids need most from a dad? One of the things kids need is to see mercy. Mercy, the attitude of forgive my sins as I forgive those who sin against me. That attitude. That's going to rescue our children from the harsh, graceless world that's waiting for them. And it's going to rescue that world as well, by the way. Something that families need to see modeled by the dads in the household. Second trait, got mercy, but Joseph also showed tremendous humility. Winston Churchill was once asked, doesn't it thrill you to know that every time you give a speech, the room is packed to overflowing? And he answered, yeah, it's really quite flattering. And whenever I start thinking like that, I also try to remember that if instead of making a political speech, I was being hanged, the room would be twice as full. <laughs> Humility, something that keeps 
things in their place. We understand perspective. We understand who we really are. It seems that the dad of Jesus had that same awareness. Matthew 1, 20 through 21. After Joseph had considered this, this putting her away quietly, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. So he's showing mercy, but the angel says, let's go beyond mercy. Let's go and lean into your humility because I'm about to ask you, God says, to do something that's going to feel pretty uncomfortable and even potentially embarrassing for you. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You're gonna give his name Jesus as Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Joseph chooses not just to put her away quietly, but instead to go ahead and marry her. How's that look to the whole town? He married her when God instructed it, in spite of the fact that he'd become the brunt of every joke in every bar. The brunt of every joke at the city gates. Every time he and Mary walked, potentially at least, walked down the street, people might wave with one hand and cover their mouths and snicker with the other. Humility. Joseph went on to live as the third most important person in the family when the dad was supposed to be the most important person in the family. He was behind Jesus and Mary in terms of importance. And then he was eventually lost to history. Mary and Jesus weren't lost to history. Even some of his other sons weren't lost to history. Joseph was then lost to history. It's like God says, Joseph, I want you to be faithful, and then I want you to fall in love, and then I want you to endure the fact that there's a baby growing in the woman with whom you fell in love that is not your baby, and then I want you to marry her, and then I want you to live with her faithfully, and then I want you to keep dying to yourself over and over. When I say get up and move, when I say get up and move to Egypt, you get up and move to Egypt. When I say give her a hug, you give her a hug. When I say teach your son Jesus the craft that you know, the carpentry craft, you teach him. You earn the money. You provide the food. You take all the ridicule. Oh, what's my reward, Lord? Yeah, you'll be lost to history. Talk about a Golgotha hill that God asked the man to climb. But kids, wives, culture needs to see that in a dad, in a man. Humility. Sure saw it in the father that God chose to raise his son. The Bible calls Moses the most humble man in all the world. Humble man that ever lived. But I suspect that Joseph played a close second, ran a close second to Moses. So how do we build humility? That's another thing that's not very natural for us. Here are a couple of ideas. Never miss an opportunity to not take credit when you deserve it. You ever have that, you did something, you're responsible for it, and somebody else is not giving you credit for it? What are you tempted to do? Yes, uh, I remember when I came up with that idea. We were in the same room talking over lunch. Yeah, that's a good point you make there, Sam. 
Remember, remember when I came up with that idea, and I affirm what you're saying about that idea I came up with. Good point. But you miss everything good that that opportunity presents when you do that, when we do that. Instead, challenge you to sit there and let Sam take credit. Never miss an opportunity to not take credit when you should get credit. And then what happens? Stuff starts circling and stewing and boiling in you. It's a weird feeling to let that simmer like that actually builds humility. This idea that we have nothing to prove. Never, never pass that up. Let the discomfort of that reconstruct you. Second thing, and, and I like to do this too, is pray what I call the prayer, the assassin's prayer. So those things usually reveal to us insecurities, and that's men are a bundle of insecurities. That's what we are. Well, boys are. Men have learned how to conquer those securities and corral them. But pray the assassin's prayer. Instead of being frustrated like I did that and he's getting credit or she's getting credit, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to feel this uncomfortable. And thank you for the way you're revealing in me some vacancy that's there that I'm now aware of. Because if it weren't a vacancy, I wouldn't be this uncomfortable. It wouldn't matter to me. All that would matter is that the corporation got to move forward or the life got to move forward or we accomplished something as a community. Not that I got credit for it. But the fact that I can hardly stand to keep my mouth shut and take credit reveals to me some insecurity that I would like to rip out of my heart and lay at your feet and have you kill it dead. So, oh, holy assassin, assassinate this thing that's poisoning me. Humility. Those are some practical helps. Joseph had nothing to prove to anyone, but he had a whole lot to display to everyone. Confidence, character, humility. You know, right, that pride is really, really expensive. It's very costly. And dads who can teach humility to their children give them a leg up in life and set them free. It's one of the traits that kids need to see most in a dad. And finally, this one. Mercy, humility, and fortitude. That internal strength, the idea of staying power, stickiness. The resolve and discipline to follow through with honorable choices in spite of the discomfort that those honorable choices cause. Do you understand children need to see that in their dad? Children need to have that modeled in their dad? There's going to be a time or times when they look back on life and they're, they're considering a compromise or a bad decision or something that's, that's expeditious. It, it, it's uh, something that's uh, convenient for now, but it might have long-lasting consequences that are not good. They need to be able to look back at dad and mom too, by the way, but today's Father's Day the day we get to watch the U.S. Open on an ugly golf course. They need to look back at dad and say, he, he, he would have gutted this out. He would have made the right decision, no matter how it felt. And I owe it to the heritage of my family to do the same thing. 
They would look back at Jesus, we hope, and realize he made all kinds of decisions that cost him severe consequences, bloody ones, and say, I owe it to my spiritual heritage to be stronger than that, no matter what happens, no matter how strong the winds blow. Fortitude. Listen to this in Matthew 1, 24, going on in the story. Look at the fortitude this guy had. When Joseph woke up after all of this dreaming and and instructions from God, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Not he made a note, I'm going to do that someday. When he woke up, he did it. Right away. And then how about this line? Talk about fortitude. Guys will get this one. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. So let me get this right. Joseph wakes up, takes her as his wife, has this new bride that he's been adoring for a long, long time. Now it's his wife with all the rights and joys and fun and privileges that go with that. And he doesn't have sex with her until that baby is born and named out of respect for the God who placed that zygote in her. That's fortitude. Men, is that fortitude? That's fortitude. That's internal strength. That's a really weird thing. That's a strange thing, saying no to a compulsion. Who would have ever thought we would be required to do that someday? All of Christianity and Christian faith is about saying no to compulsions and saying yes to honorable choices. Oh, don't get me going now. And kids need to see that in their dads because that is a trait that's drifting away. And if they haven't seen it in you, dad, let them start today to see it. Because another thing Hansel used to say, the guy that wrote what kids need most in a dad, he has this other statement that sticks with me. It's never too late to start doing the right thing. Fortitude. That's been lost right along with mercy. He completely obedient to the instruction God gives him right away, celibate during the first year of their marriage, and then Joseph goes on to dedicate the rest of his life to the protection of Jesus based on the vision of Mary. He had a little vision too, but this is mostly Mary's gig. And the rest of his life, where they lived, when they got up, when they left, all devoted to Jesus and to Mary. Few men have that kind of fortitude. Joseph was one of them. No wonder God chose him to raise his son. How in the world do we grow in that? Here's some practical ideas. Spend some time thinking. Really good time thinking. And assess the price tags. What's the real value of one thing over another? And at least in our minds, let's assess what's of higher value and lower value. And if we can recognize intellectually the insanity of choosing something of lesser value over something of greater value, that's a step in the right direction of growing an internal strength. Another, another idea is this, to develop friendships. This is for, for the guys, it's true of everyone, but I'm speaking to the men right now. 
Consider developing friendships, I mean capital F friendships, with men who are what you long to be. And let them infect you. Fortitude. If you want to grow in fortitude, one of the ways to do that is to find a man that has it and go attach yourself to him. Let him rub off on you. Kids that have internal strength and the discipline that goes with it are in great shape when it comes to surviving. But they're also, more importantly, in great, or as importantly, in great shape when they get a challenge to actually change a poisoned world. They get that challenge, they're ready to go. And they need that from their fathers. Jesus said of his cousin, John the baptizer, that he was the greatest man ever born to woman. Jesus' words. And if he thought that highly of his cousin, I can only imagine the words he might have for Joseph. They're not recorded in Scripture. But they would be pretty high praise. This is a dad who raised children who changed their world and a son who rearranged human history. And what do they say? The fish stinks from the head, but it also smells nice from the head. That didn't happen in a vacuum. Yes, Jesus was fully divine, but he's also fully human. And both Mary and Joseph had a lot to do with the way Jesus developed. By choice, God put it together that way. This guy, Joseph, was anything but a helpless idiot tangled in the curtain rods. And I want to say this to dads, so are you. Anything but a helpless idiot tangled up in the curtain rods. There's an old Irish proverb that Martin Sheen puts in the book that he wrote. It goes like this, we never get over our fathers and we're not required to. May we men be the kinds of dads whose children never want to. Dads of mercy, dads of humility, dads of fortitude. Amen. Would you stand now? Receive this blessing. I think I'm going to dismiss you today with a prayer. I want to pray for you. Uh, and if you'll permit me, sisters, I want to pray specifically for the men. Would you join me in praying for your man or the man you remember? Uh, the man you may someday soon meet. Now, God, send us out of here. Walk out of here with us, whispering in our ears a vision of what it means to be a man, more specifically, a dad, 
And for those of us who need to move beyond, who do wish we could forget our dads because they were vacant or they were cruel, I pray that you would step in that place in our understanding of what a dad is. Be that heavenly father that corrects and restarts everything. For those of us, Lord, who had excellent dads, whisper the message that we owe that heritage something. For those of us who had dads of faith, remind us, God, that that faith has been deposited in us and we need to live with courage in carrying it out. Make us men who practice mercy first. Men who live humble but powerful lives. Men of internal strength. Men of fortitude. We ask you to give that to us and then to fan it into flame. And I pray too, Lord, for the marriages in our fellowship. And maybe that's where the mercy needs to start. If that's the case, God, open our eyes. We show mercy and forgiveness and understanding and rekindle that flame. This be a day of celebration where you're present and much appreciated for all you do. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now may God bless you and keep you. May God lighten your heart if it's been made heavy today. Burden it a little bit if it's a little too light. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.